You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. We're in that period of the year where there's not a huge amount of international cricket on. We'll have a dedicated county championship section to each show with an extra focus on how England players of interest are doing. We'll do a little bit on each show on the IPL and we'll normally have something a little bit different in each episode, either an interview, a special guest or like in today's show where we'll be picking our county championship uncapped 11 of the 21st century towards the end of this week's episode. I'm Yaz Rana and with me this morning is the editor-in-chief of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker, the magazine editor of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, and the managing editor of Wisden.com, Ben Garner. Let's start with the county championship that started last week. Joe, you will moment the week is from that. What is it? It was um, Hampshire, who I uh, tipped for the title, uh, who have got off to a very good start, thumped Somerset by an innings and plenty. Um, and yeah, just they've got a really good side. They're actually playing over my right-hand shoulder against Surrey right now. Getting spanked. What's the score? 40-odd for naught. 40-odd for naught. Having inserted them as well. Having inserted them, yeah. On a green one. They had a good first week, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're focusing on the last game. Um, yeah, it just struck me as well, looking at some of the lineups around the country, lots of teams are waiting for their overseas stars to arrive or England players weren't quite available Hampshire basically had their first choice 11 ready to go. They had Abbas and Abbott there ready. Uh, Vince made a few. You've got that. Ben Brown, we've talked about before, is an excellent new signing. But then they've got these these batters who are kind of, I guess, what's the way of putting it politely? Sort of your mediocre county batters who you hope... If you're going to win the championship, they're going to be needing to average kind of maybe even 33, 34, something like that will get them over the line. And in that first game, Joe Weatherly scores a big ton um, and Ian Holland scored 80 odd, I think it was. So if those two players can come to the party, Vince is going to score runs. The only caveat there, does he get picked for England? And then you've got this gun bowling attack with Mason Crane ready to come into the side when the pitches are turning. Uh, Yeah, and the seamers are going to take 
plenty in whatever condition. So I, I think I think they're looking good. So much so that I put a teeny little bet on them oh, wow. this morning as well. I find it interesting that even when we're talking about county cricket, no one ever talks about Liam Dawson. I guess the only thing on, on Hampshire's win is that Somerset, that Somerset side looked pretty weak. Uh, not that long ago, they were, they were regularly favourites or one of the favourites of the county championship. This season, you think they'll probably be in the relegation battle unless something changes. Yeah, well, it was a continuation of their batting slump, which wasn't great at any point last year, but really tailed off um, at the end of last season when they ended up in, in the first tier. They look a lot stronger this week, don't they? Some That's true. Yeah. They yeah. back Leach, Overton, Renshaw, the Aussie left-hander. He's Renshaw. Come back here. Renshaw's massive. David's come back as Renshaw's well. Renshaw's massive, yeah. And Gregory as well, so they brought four internationals yeah. back into the side. Renshaw's the key, though, I think. that Their bowling attack is pretty good, even when a few players are, are missing. But that without Renshaw there, that batting lineup looks weak. Um, so, yeah, I expect them to be towards the bottom rather than at the top. But Div 1, you never really know, to be honest. And the, the key thing of Hampshire's win is that no one else won. All the other games were draws. So, even... First game, obviously, very, very early days. But to get a win on the board is, is pretty significant when we know it's likely to be very tight coming into the season. Yeah, as you say, just one of two sides across the two divisions to, to win in the first round of games. Knots in Division 2 with the others. Um, it was a very high-scoring round of games. Got Tim, a wicket. There we go. What's it now? <laughs> 39 for one. Is that Burns gone? Tim Wigmore wrote a piece in The Telegraph about how since 2015, it's the highest-scoring month of the lot. Uh, possible reasons include more time for ground staff to prepare pitches, as, as Rory Burns said on last week's show, and that batters are more in their groove at the start of a season than, than bowlers are. Um, I, I always think that there's just a lack of heat to add pace to hardness and pace to wickets must factor. Well, I mean, Butch, yeah, and, Butch, and Butch said it, didn't he, last Butch year? saying it's always been the case that a hard, rock-hard, cold ball doesn't swing. Mm. Yeah. For, for whatever for whatever reason, but it doesn't seem to. There was one ball though in that in that Hampshire Somerset game that sort of uh, did. Uh, people were saying it sort of sums up wearing the at the test side, which Keith Barker bowled to Steve Davis, I think. Uh, which um, sort of it, it pitched basically. It was bowled straight, like it wasn't angled in, and pitched like a seventh, eighth sub line. So Davis understandably leaves it, and then it just pitches and just moves in absolutely massively and takes it off stump. Uh, and I mean, you know. Uh, not all the pitchers were doing that, but there is still the uh, the possibility for balls to that in England, which doesn't feel like it happens in that many other places in the world. Um, mm. um, I think if the runs continued to flow, it'd be quite interesting to see which bowlers do well this month. And you might not need to have that good a set of numbers to actually stand out. Um, although, as I say, that uh, the leading wicket takers in the country so far are Ben Sanderson, Ryan Higgins and Mohamed Abbas. But it'd be quite interesting if someone like who's slightly quicker, like the two guys at Durham, Potts and Cars, if they're... They're even averaging like 26 and the runs are flowing. That could be quite interesting. Ben, what's your moment of the week? So mine's also from the County Championship uh, from Division 2. Uh, it was uh, obviously the uh, the sporting drama that everyone was following on Sunday evening, uh, which was uh, Leicestershire against Worcestershire. Uh, Leicestershire had to battle all day to, to save the game. It looked like it wasn't going to happen when they lost their ninth wicket with just under a session left. Um, and uh, Buren Hendricks joined Hassan Azad. Uh, Leicester were not very happy about that ninth wicket to fall. They sort of they originally tweeted saying like uh, uh, that Chris Wright has been given out to LBW rather than is out LBW, and then posted the video just with a sort of an ellipsis with the uh, <laughs> with the decision there. So they weren't happy with that. And then somehow those two uh, just batted out for what twenty or more than twenty five overs for the draw. Uh, ended up as the two top scorers in the innings. Hassan Zad batted through for one hundred and four, not out batting just a, a little bit over six hours. Uh, so an incredible effort, and it, it it was very dramatic watching those those final few moments. Um, just shows how the county championship can throw up thrillers, even when the pitches are 
that, that, that like there's a, even in this round I think you looked at it sort of on day maybe halfway through day three and there was that one game that was pretty much done and you look at the others being like are any of these going to be interesting and actually you always do get two or three sometimes even four games as it with with this round there was also what North Ants played North an amazing Ants game Gloucester with Gloucester which was yeah. North Ants looked like they were dead set to win it with about 45 minutes to go they had, were five down and needed just overrun a ball and then lost three quick wickets and hang on at the end and also the Sussex um, sorry not the Sussex yeah the Sussex Knots game was amazing where Sussex made what 375 to begin with and had Knots 60 for four and then Knots is number nine Joey Everson made 100 uh, and gave them a big lead and then they ended up winning that game pretty comfortably although with not too much time to spare but they, they, they just always seem to be like a few very very exciting games per even, round even and, Derbyshire looks at one stage like when Shamasub was going yeah. like they might pull off a, a win at Middlesex yeah just a word for Ed Pollock, who uh, has gone back to Worcester. He began at Worcester through the pathway, then went to Warwickshire. Um, made a name for himself in 2020 cricket with this extraordinary strike rate. It's, in, I think, the eighth best strike rate in the history of T20 cricket. Um, only Finn Allen uh, and Andre Russell are cu- of current players higher than him. So, so he made a big splash there, but he didn't really get a chance in Red Bull cricket. He's gone back to Worcester and he made a run a ball 100 in their second innings to set that declaration up in that Leicester game. And uh, and it's just a nice story, really. You know, it's it's championship debut, right? Championship it, debut. Yeah. He'd played five first-class games before that, but never in the championship. First go, they had a bit of a lead. They wanted looking to set up a declaration. And he went out there and he played, as he would say, his natural way. And uh, a rambunctious run a ball 100. So... You know, even it was quite an underwhelming week in some respects, but you still get these 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 interesting subtext stories. You know, Matt Critchley as well at Essex. You know, hundred and fourfer on a flat one, admittedly, but his debut for Essex as well, and he's obviously very much in the conversation regarding possible, you know, higher honours and so on and so on. So it, it was it was an interesting week uh, in some respects, but there were also some quite quite tough watches. There were some dry games in there, but then. Would you rather, you know, games are done in two and a half days and it's a lottery or over 16, 16 games per, per, per team, you know, a few of these games are probably quite useful, I would say, you know. We all say no. Cutting the wheat from the chaff. And also, yeah, we can't complain um, about it both ways. Yeah. But we also, we also know how quickly it shifts. Like this is not dissimilar to the start of last season when there were a lot of runs in those early weeks. And we were talking about, Scott, someone might actually get to a thousand runs before the end of May. And, and actually... Then the bowlers have their day, and it's like Butch was saying, you just got to pick pick the times when you know to cash in. And he was talking about midsummer, oddly, maybe early April is the other yeah. time to cash in. And then because you know that that's the new midsummer when yeah. you don't really get one in the in the championship. It was a good week for a few players in and around the England setup. Alex Lee's scored 182, not out for Durham. Ollie Pope scored a half century for Surrey. Ben Foyt scored an unbeaten. 100 against Warwickshire as well for Surrey. And James Bracey scored 117 in that game for that Gloucestershire. Was a, that was a really good innings, that yeah. one, because that was when Gloucestershire were in trouble in that first innings. A um, couple of other talking points from the from the first well, week's round of action. I think the relative lack of spin is interesting when the scores are this high. Um, there were some punchy quotes from pod favourite Matt Pogs in this week. He said, uh, it's a problem with the pitches, especially in Division 2, when teams need results, they panic and they don't go down the spin route. They go down the green seamer route. You have 23-year-old seamers who have played 60 or 70 first-class games. And he's barely played 30. I'm almost 26 and have played 35. You've got just a generic county seamer who's played 70 games because he's part of a four-man team attack. Spinners are never going to improve. 
if you're not playing. Standout spinner in the first week was Liam Patson White, who took eight in that victory. He's got a very Knox. good record, he has. He does, he does. He's done really, really well. Player, definitely a player to watch this summer. And he, also uh, Trent Bridge as well. It doesn't really turn that, or he's not got a reputation for turning mm. that, that much up there. So, yeah. he, and he bats crucially, which we know with England spinner. Yeah, he averages just a tick under 30 with the bat as well. So he's, he's an interesting, he's a resourceful sort of cricketer. You know, he's not a kind of, not a sort of cricketer that you you go to watch, but you know, these are these are the kinds of cricketers that you that you're looking for. You know, cricketers who who get the most out of what they have. Parkinson's quotes were interesting um, and uh, quite timely and quite punchy as well. And fair play to him. Uh, we've all done press days here; they can often be quite dry lunches, to say the least. But this was this was his moment, and he just clearly thought, "Sod it, I'm just gonna gonna talk from the from the gut." Really, having worn a bib fluorescent bib for another two months around the West Indies and you know speaking to a couple of players who were with him at the time he was absolutely distraught that he didn't make a debut there and he thought that was finally going to be his moment um and he's come back and he said we have an attitude problem you know that was his quote and you you can't it's hard to argue against that really uh we're also at the Oval here Surrey and now coached by Gareth Batty who speaks very eloquently and importantly about about our attitude to spin, and yet it's quite telling, albeit this is early season, that they've picked two sides now, one at Edgbaston, one here at Surrey, at the Oval, and there's not a spinner to be seen, apart from Will Jacks, who will bowl a little bit. In fact, he bowled 30-odd overs at Warwickshire, but he's not clearly not a front-line spinner. And well, they've so, got two good young spinners. They've got two good young English spinners here as well, plus another spinner in Steel who they've brought in. So... Yeah, look, this conversation will run and run and run. And I'm sorry, at the end of time. Just yeah. the Parkinson's quotes, I don't think they were really too self-serving either. Obviously, there is a, uh, you know, he is speaking for his own benefit in some ways, but he does feel that he gets uh, a good go at Lancashire. I mean, he, did, he missed the first game last season, was not happy about it, but played 12 games last season, uh, is playing today. And he was saying that it is like, he almost is like the... Uh, in charge of that sort of young spinners group around the country. Well, he's come through it, hasn't he? Yeah. He's talking about what he's experienced previously and now seeing it play out across the country. And, and he's in a good position to speak openly. And I think that's part of the reason we don't just like him because he's a good leg spinner. It's also because he says what he thinks, which yeah. is... The, 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 the one... <sighs> I'd love to see Matt Parkinson play play a test match. I'd love to see him play play next, next, next month, but... The one I think that they will be looking very hard at is Critchley because he's a top six batter. And in the way that Moeen was initially conceived by England as a as a batter who might fill in and then obviously became arguably more of a bowler who, who batted, but Critchley could do that job and then you could open it up. You could play one spinner. You could play him, in theory, in the top six or you could live a little and play a keeper at six and him at seven. And then he could be that second spin, spin option. And I'm not saying he's going to go and take lots of test wickets. His first class record is good, but it's not outstanding. He has 118 wickets. You can tell that I had to write these county files for a magazine. <laughs> Honestly, 118 <laughs> wickets from 60-odd yeah, yeah. first class games. So, and he averages you know, near enough around 40-odd per wicket, albeit this is bowling leg spin in England. So he's not going to come in there and take fifers, but he might come in there on a turning track and have an influence, but you can kind of look at him and think yeah, there's runs in that player, you know? So he's, he's the one of all the, the conversations around all the spin options. I think, I think he's the one that they'll be really, really interested in. I can see the Twitter replies already one week into his Essex career and Phil saying he's an England player in yeah. waiting. Yeah. Uh, well, I, he I guess played the thing, really, really well last week. Yeah. I guess, I guess the thing with Critchley is, uh, 
he had a really good season with the bat last season, but that was his first very good season with the bat. And then two, I don't really know where his bowling's at. His economy rated first last cricket is four, which which is quite high. Like we talk, we were talking about Parkinson. Parkinson's in the low low twos, really. When the season really gets up and running, there's no Simon Harmon in that game. How much does Critchley actually bowl when you've got Harmon at one end and Cook and Porter just rotate sure. together? Indeed. And as I say, you know, his, his record is, is ambiguous with the ball. It's hard to make a proper call on it. But, you know, that Pakistan three test series in Pakistan looms quite large for, for an England team that is pedestrian, um, especially in the spin department. So... He's got to get in as a batter, first and foremost. Indeed, he? Yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he has another thousand run season and then he can bowl leg spin as well. Then he suddenly looks a really attractive yeah. proposition. But if we're looking at spinners who can bat rather than batters who can spin it, I guess two names. One is one that was very brief mentioned is Liam Dawson. Like he's, I know he's played, when he played test cricket, didn't disgrace himself, contributed in both disciplines, was kind of almost, was other people were picked over rather than being dropped and then slipped down the pecking order when England had sort of more spin options like Mo and Ali was just established himself at that point um you can see how they might end up going back to a guy who bowls pre-sales left on spin and is a very very good number eight uh the other guy is Danny Briggs who was on that Lions tour 300 first class wickets at a pretty good record got a first class 100 an average of nearly 20 again he's one that doesn't disgrace that tail and is one that I think they will also look at to see how mm. it goes I think I think Briggs was selected for the Lions tour and then reject the call up. That's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's quite interesting. Like last summer, England didn't pick their number one spinner in favour of a spinner who could bat in the top seven. So that's clearly what they're what they're after in home conditions, or at least they were last summer with Root and Silverwood in charge. Yeah, and also a lot of this depends on how you review or assess Leach's tour of the Caribbean, which is quite a tricky one. I think you could you could argue it either way, really, because he he comes away his numbers are pretty good. Didn't certainly didn't go for many runs. But then no one was really coming after him and, and he didn't win England a match, crucially. You could equally argue that, you know, he had a good series, he's England's number one spinner, why, why do we shift him? Let, so. Let's argue it then. Where, where is the dial for you on Leach's series? I, I find it really difficult myself, really. I, I would. There is definitely the temptation to look at someone different because you feel like we've come to a stage with Leach where you know exactly what you're going to get, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, but there's also that thing, the thought that, you know, maybe we could get something more here. But I still come back to the point, I, I don't think he's done anything to deserve being dropped. And, and that that's quite a, a tricky place to, to find yourself. So I think, again, it's a bit of a cop-out. I think so much comes down to these early weeks. There's no point in throwing in a spinner who's barely bowled in April or May for a first test, I don't think. So someone's got to come in with some form, with some wickets behind them. And then potentially it could leapfrog Leach. Hmm. Okay. What about you? You want to see someone new? Uh, I, I would say overall his tour... Net good by by a percentage point or two. But your perception of him didn't change, right? That's it. That's exactly it. Um, he's an honest toiler uh, who got through 68 overs, I think, at Barbados. In one innings. In one innings. Uh, for 120 odd runs, you know, we have you, to watch you, that. Yeah, you, you have you have to admire <laughs> Barbados. You have to admire his cussedness uh, and respect the shift he put in um but i just don't see enough going on there for him to to affect cricket matches unless he's playing on an absolute bunsen and then it becomes something of a lottery anyway i mean joe root took five for nine or five for eight or whatever it was uh this time last year so i just don't see enough going on on those kinds of tracks where you do have to wheedle out wickets um he is his his accuracy is it seems to me not just his 
central trait, but pretty much his only trait. Um, it was interesting to see the co- combination of him and Lawrence on that final day. I think maybe at Antigua, actually, although it might have been Barbados, they just merged into two, those, those two uh, test matches. But there was more going on in the air with Lawrence. There was more dip and fizz. Um, and Leach would just turn and keep going and going and going. Now, there's, there's virtue in that. But if you're looking to really take this side on, and I say that from a very, very low base at the moment, uh, then I, I would like to see some other options in there. In yeah, truth. so I, I agree with all that. But I'm, I also agree with Joe that unless someone else has a really, really good start to the season, I would probably stick with Leach for the moment. I think Leach did okay. Uh, and we just don't know about the others. And I, I really wanted to make this point when we were doing pods around the West Indies series and I w- really wanted Parkinson to play. I don't know how Parkinson is going to be the test cricketer. I'm not saying Parkinson is the saviour. He's going to completely change how uh, England do in any way. Uh, but I, I thought that was just such a good opportunity to see. And I'm, and I'm not sure first home test of the summer against a good New Zealand side is the time to, to try out someone like Parkinson if he's your next man in. As as we're talking briefly on the West Indies, um, my moment of the week is not uh, Brevis. You can have that one. Um, my moment of the week, uh, I spoke to Craig Brathwaite last week oh, nice. over the phone. Yeah. Um, I'd spoken to Ian Bishop about him around the same time. And Bishop said to me, um, Craig will tell you himself, he's a man of few words. I think it's even less than that. So I wasn't expecting a particularly fulsome conversation. Um that said, we had, we had a nice time. I should, it's bad to build up an interview that's in the upcoming magazine by saying I spoke to somebody who's quite taciturn and doesn't give much away. That's not a great sell, admittedly. Uh, but there's a kind of quiet confidence there, quiet authority there, and just taken in isolation, what he did individually at Barbados was extraordinary. Now, I know you two sat there in your Bermudas watching it all happen, um, but those numbers are still staggering, what, what he managed to pull off. Uh, and that was a serious win for the for, for the West Indies. Yeah, that's a real it's a real sort of landmark win. I would say uh, they are building something slowly uh, and under the radar there, but they've got some some interesting cricketers now. They obviously lack a little bit of class in the batting, and this is what I was coming to. That I asked him about the peculiar fact that we we'd both watched the previous day Hetmeyer smash forty five in about five minutes in the IPL with a big beaming smile on his face. And we both watched it. And the day before, Evan Lewis had gone up against Nicholas Poran. And, and th- th- these are all interesting cricketers, good cricketers who can bat in a proper way. And I asked him about it. And he said, if we can find a way, then I know that they'd want to come back. Paraphrasing, but essentially he said that. And then it was backed up by something that Bishop said to me a day or two later, that he says he knows for a fact that if those conversations can uh, can be resurrected, then Hetmeyer in particular would be very interested in having it. Hetmeyer has played test cricket, but played the last of his tests three years ago when he was 22, when he was 22. Poran, again, says, I haven't played test cricket yet. Emphasis on that word. And so maybe it's not quite as cut and dried. Maybe that door isn't quite as wedged shut as as, as we, we we feared it might be. And if you can drop in, a fantasy player or two into that middle order and they can play enough Red Bull cricket to get to get used to the change, uh, then it becomes a really interesting team to watch. Yeah, especially that attack. And yeah. um, Puran played a first-class game for the first time in ages, reasonably recently. I think he went something like seven years 
without playing first class cricket at all. And they got him in. I think he played for the West Indies A team. It's maybe a New Zealand A team quite recently. Um, one last thing on Brathwaite before before I go and get a glass of water. Uh, one last <laughs> thing on Brathwaite. Uh, he really got going when I asked him about his nags, his horses. So he is a breeder of horses at the high level in Barbados. Did you know this? No. Did you know this? No. No, I didn't either. But uh, it comes alive when he talks about horses. I did not expect to be talking about Craig Brathwaite's horses in the first 25 minutes. You're already looking are. at here the clock, are. aren't you? <laughs> uh, anyway, his horse, uh, War Eagle, um, won the, Barba- the Boxing Day Barbados Derby in 2020, which is the biggest race in Barbados every year. It's the Gold Cup equivalent. Uh, and his horse, War Eagle, won it two years ago. Um, he's He has various mares on his grounds, if you like, in Barbados. His cousin runs the stables, but he's very closely involved in it. And uh, he said he couldn't imagine life without it. Another interesting aspect of the first round of the county championship <laughs> uh, <laughs> was that a lot of England bowlers or England contracted bowlers, shall we say, didn't play. Um, Stuart Board kind of explained this, saying that you can't, really play seven rounds of back-to-back games before the first test of the summer. Interesting that Brawl still considered himself in the running for that. I thought an an odd one who didn't play was Zach Crawley, uh, who didn't play for Kent, but the ECB had said he was available to be selected. But Kent and Crawley between them decided that he wanted further rest, which, you know, I'm not saying it was the wrong decision. I don't know anything about what's going on there, but it seemed an interesting one for a batter who I would have thought, having scored a few runs in the Caribbean, would have been raring to go at the start yeah. of the season. Maybe he just wanted a slightly longer break. wasn't that long. He's, he's back in the side for the second round of games in for Denley, who I think is injured. We've got, a, we've got an email in from one of our listeners, Joe. Hello all. Might be a bit keen, but looking for some county championship related advice for next weekend, if you can oblige. The streaming revolution got me hooked on the championship last year. And despite Derbyshire being a bit rubbish, I loved it. High hopes for Masood and Lakmal critically broke my heart. As I'm trapped in London by virtue of work, I'm trying to get down to the Oval or Lords to see a smattering of games during the summer. Thanks to the preview of the season in the latest Wisden Cricket Monthly, I've circled Surrey versus Hampshire over Easter weekend as a must-watch. However, I've only ever been to international 100 and T20 blast games. My question is this, what do I need to be aware of slash plan for when going to watch a county championship game. Will there be food to buy? Will there be overpriced flat beer for me to waste my money on? Should I pack a picnic? The Anorak, Fleece and Brolly and all are in the bag already. But how else does a solo viewer go about maximising their day? I envisage a day nodding off in the spring sun and forgetting about work with a flask of coffee, sausage rolls and some soothing radio commentary. How far off am I? Cheers, oh, sounds Joe. lovely. Quite fancy what that. Um, bring a picnic. Mm. Uh, yeah, the price is here. <laughs> yeah, definitely bring a picnic. Uh, get yourself a copy of the Who's Who. I, I was going to say, shall yeah. I plug that so it doesn't yeah. sound totally... Uh, <laughs> Which is sold out, Braden. by the way. It's who's genuinely who. being reprinted. Reprinted, sold out. Who, who's, who, who says that county cricket's on its, on its arse? <laughs> but it's wonderful. I think we should explain what it is because I think that someone listeners... Might, like, I didn't know what it was until I started here. Let's you do, do a that. bit on the cricket. <laughs> to be fair, you didn't know, know what cricket was until you started here. <laughs> <there. laughs> <laughs> Joey Harmon. <laughs> Uh, but um, but basically, they send questionnaires are sent out to all county cricketers uh, with you know stuff. Who's your favourite player? Uh, what's your favourite shot? That sort of thing. But also getting a bit more in depth. What would you like to do outside of it? What would you change about the game? That sort of thing. And there is like something that is interesting and sort of changes your perception a little. But I would say every few pages, and it's also just very fun to leave through and also invaluable for when you look up sort of a why is this guy batting at number six. 
uh, what's going on with this thing. It's got all the stats, obviously, prior to this season. Uh, so I'd say it's a it's a it's a very worthwhile thing to have that gives you an insight into counter cricketers that you don't really get elsewhere. I would say that's, yeah, not, that's yes. not even an ad there. That's, <laughs> that's that's just, that's but just it is available back. on wisdom.com forward slash shop. Yes, drew me drew attention to Tom Banton's entry. Did he? Mentioned this to you, yeah, James, as well. Just hates cricket. I thought exactly the same thing <laughs> well, as I ben, read it. Ben yeah. showed it to me first. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ways to change the game, less of it. <laughs> <laughs> Improvements, just don't play it. And, and, and what do you most like? Time away from cricket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think the reason why we noticed that was that in the Ahmedabad Test match last year, the like totally crazy day, Banton tweeted something about like something about Xbox Live or something like that. It's like it was very clear that he wasn't watching this amazing period of. I've got a lot play. of respect for that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the uh, so Benj Moorhead, who edits the Who's Who, has done so for a few years. Uh, bless him. He's trying to come up with new questions each year, which is quite tricky when you've done it for a while. So I think he might be running a bit dry. One of them this year was, "What's your favourite smell?" Uh, oh, wow, which, strong. <laughs> Laurie Evans' favourite smell was petrol. A lot of people say that. A lot of people say that. Slightly worrying. People say that, especially with the current crisis of uh, fuel costs. They'll uh, (laughs) they'll be missing their favourite smells. God, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, Um, excellent. Um, Paul asks, "What does a managing director of English cricket actually do?" Uh, And with Rob Key being the front runner, should we expect a lot of Kent players getting Test call-ups? Rob Key is reportedly the front runner for the job after Marcus North pulled out of the running due to family reasons. Um, That is a good question. Um, We did a piece on Wisdom.com yesterday kind of just going through all the things that Rob Key has said in his capacity as a Sky Pundit in the last few months this is all from before the West Indies series and this is just speculation but I'm going to hazard a guess that I don't think he himself thought he'd be in the running for this job when he was saying a lot of this stuff um, he made it pretty clear that he'd split the coaching job he thinks that the, the, the job should be split good um, he said on the England's next head coach, he said who the ideal person is, is probably someone who wouldn't want the job for love nor money, like Ricky Ponting. He mentioned Fleming, Jai Warner as well. On English coaches, he said Alex Stewart would be perfect, but Stewart would probably only want it to do it uh, on an interim basis. He thought Kirsten would be suitable, but he said that looking at his success with India, you have to work out whether it was Kirsten or Dhoni who really was leading that team. On who should captain England in test cricket, uh, he was reasonably critical of Root. He said a lot of people have lost their jobs, but Root has probably made more bad decisions than, than anyone else. He, did, did you add in there that he was broadly supportive of uh, Anderson and Broad not going? Yeah, in quite a nuanced way. He basically said that if they haven't gone because of atmosphere in the dressing room then that's garbage that's awful yeah but England should be looking at how they become the best side in the world in two three years time and England are miles away from that so it's not going to be with Anderson abroad so he was reasonably supportive of that um, on the captaincy yeah reasonably critical of Root but also acknowledge there's not anyone who's obvious to come in he's also said though the best captain in that entire setup or the person who's the most likely candidate or would be the best captain in my opinion and it's only my opinion is Joss Butler but the problem with that is that he doesn't get in the team at the moment um interesting which is quite interesting he he was very told you I should have put him in that list he uh, was very critical of the uh negative mentality that has taken over English batting in particular with techniques being governed by how do I avoid doing this rather than how do I score runs? Um, it's been very vocal so, yeah. about poor pitches yeah. as well. That's yeah. a real kind of bugbear of his. So it's quite interesting. When someone gets appointed to these kind of jobs, you, you don't actually know what they think that much, uh, was was key. There's, there's a lot paid out to there. tell us what he thinks yeah, exactly, for the last few years. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
Nothing nothing since the West Indies series, though, so I don't know if he's changed his mind or any of that. And he didn't explicitly say that he'd move on from Root. He just criticised Root and pointed out the flaws in other people being captain. Phil, what, what does the managing director do? I guess just takes care of the big cricketing decisions, which I guess at the moment are who's the next head coach is a, is a pretty big thing. And then questions around structure of what a normal season looks like, that kind of stuff. Well, when Giles was doing it, he was very hands-on in the in the obvious areas, such as you know chief selector and so on. But he was also he was managing it through COVID, and so he was very very intimately involved in the in the management of the players themselves. And there were a number of big decisions that we you know became notorious decisions regarding players who are coming back and forth in and out of bubbles missing certain games butler missed three of those four test matches in india for example uh he was it was he was walking a very very fine line all the time giles and i had to have a degree of sympathy for him that was a very very difficult time to be in that job um i understand why they moved on from him in the end after what happened in the ashes and his kind of rather defensive um, media statements and so on. I can understand why they moved on, but it was a very difficult time. Uh, and it's not going to get much easier either because that fundamental tension between white balls and red, and if Key has said, as I personally agree with, that he would split the the jobs, split the captaincy, split the coaching roles as well. The captaincy is already split, well. but the other coaching roles to be, to be siloed as well. Finding both of those camps to be content with their lot is a very, very, very tricky decision to, and, and a very tough, tough gig for whoever takes it on. Key is, I'm warming to Key as an idea. Um, initially, I was a bit cold on it, to be honest. And I thought it didn't quite fit, that it felt a little bit jobs for the boys, a little bit too media, media-y, that there was a sense of, um, he's had a good run at Sky and if you know and suddenly you have this kind of disproportionate impact um on on the game because you are in the public eye through the media but he doesn't really have any administrative experience um he was a you know a good relatively laid back captain for Kent they didn't achieve anything under his under his his tenure but he was always very popular clubbable kind of character within the game um gets on well with people within the game but he he didn't strike me as a as a figurehead in the way that Strauss does, you know. Um, he's not run a county club. He's not run a county dressing room um, from a coaching perspective. You know, Giles obviously had. Strauss had run the England side. Um, but the more I think about it, and the big caveat is, or the corollary rather, is that there isn't anybody else and it's a weird job and no one really wants to do it. Or hardly anybody's put them put their hand up to do it. Stuart was in the conversation; he doesn't want it either. So the more I think about it, the more he will be. If it is him, he will be popular, open. I think that kind of sense with the ECB that there's a sort of defensive force field around them, and that they, they become more bunker mentality, uh, as you saw, especially in Australia. I don't see that really with Key. Hopefully. Um, as I think he would look people in the eye and explain his, his his decisions, as did Ed Smith when he was in charge of the selection panel. Um, so I'm warming to it. It's heartening. I can't have as you intimate. It's heartening that he wants it. I mean, obviously, it, it will pay pretty well. 
But, you know, so will being a pundit for Sky and this will bring so much more stress than that job. Well, it obviously shows that he, he does deeply care about the thing, which is a great start. And as you say, the jobs for the boys thing, that's been a kind of slight issue of mine as well. But there is also the fact that the popularity is quite important here. And you look at the mess around Paul Downton, for instance, if you go back to that, just that... No one really liked him in in that role. No one really seemed to respect him. And Strauss, you know, Key and Strauss, as you said, are very, very different. But Key is broadly respected. I think his his views are respected as a commentator. He talks in kind of measured enough terms, but whilst also being, but whilst also actually having opinions. And I think that bodes quite well. The problem is he hasn't done anything that relates to this job. But then this job is so weird that it's, so it's quite those, hard. I mean, yeah. that's why Marcus North felt quite oddly quite a compelling candidate because he'd actually done the thing. M- Mark Ramprakash, um, new columnist for WCM, did we mention that at all? A couple of times. Yeah. Uh, he rather waspishly said, uh, without naming names, he said, I wouldn't necessarily want to see the next director of, of English, England men's cricket, be somebody who's... Uh, who ascends to the job on the back of being quite popular in, in commentary boxes. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially said that. Could also have applied to Mark Nicholas, though, couldn't it? He was in a room with... Because I thought Key, also but true. actually Mark Nicholas God, might. That would have been a dumpster <laughs> fire. You imagine that? That'd be entertaining. Yeah, it would. It would. Yeah, roll up for that one. Anyway, um, who can say? It does sound like it's going to be him, though. Yeah. Um, there were a few relatively interesting outcomes from the ICC board meeting this week. Uh, they confirmed that the USA will qualify automatically for the 2024 Men's T20 World Cup as they are co-host with the West Indies. Big, no- big um, news, that? It is, yeah. And Ben made really the point before news. we started recording. It'll be interesting to see if that applies to other countries like your Scotland's, your Ireland's, your Netherlands, if they are co-host for anything down the line. Uh, and the other bit of news is is that South Africa will host the first ever Under-19 Women's T20 World Cup, which will take place in January next year. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The big piece of news from English cricket this morning uh, was that England's 2017 World Cup final hero, Anya Shrubsaw, has announced her retirement from the international game at the age of 30. Shrubsaw is the leading English wicket-taker in all T20i cricket, men's or women's, and her 6 of 46 in the 2017 final of the best ever figures taken in a World Cup final, men's or women's. She was the first ever woman to appear on the front cover of the Wizards and Almanac back in 2018. In her statement, she said, I feel immensely privileged to have been able to represent my country for the past 14 years. To have been involved in women's cricket at a time of such growth has been an honour, but it has become clear to me that it is moving forward faster than I can keep up with. So it is time for me to step away. Isha Gua, um, a former teammate of Shrubsall, tweeted, an incredible career, tremendous skill, belief, combined with an amazing passion for the game. You've inspired so many, Anya. You will be missed, but look forward to what comes next. Yeah, Phil, an amazing career with a crowning moment up there with the very, very greatest in English cricketing history. Yeah, well summed up. Absolutely that. Anyone who was there... uh lost their minds in a in the most perfect way you know that was sporting theater at its best um she will always be a legend 
as a consequence of that of that day, even if she hadn't done anything else in her career, and she and she did a hell of a lot. I think there was a question regarding certain spells that she bowled. Well, truth be told, she wasn't really apart from that one day. She wasn't really a the kind of bowler that blew teams away. What she was was a very skilled opening bowler. Um, with that kind of induct, that natural induct, she was lethal against West, against uh, left-handers. Um, and the spell that sticks in my mind was the spell early doors in the Test match when England had gone in there, and a few people felt they might be a little bit, bit kind of shot shy, um, and that the attack might lack a little bit of bit of teeth. And she went in there uh, and just had it on a string and nicked a couple off, took two in that two in that opening spell, um, and. And, and it was like a rolling back the years kind of spell, really. Um, it's interesting in that, in that statement, and she's she's right, you know, that the game physically is mo- is moving on, um, uh, but she can she can settle back and know that she she did great work, really. And I met her a couple of times, quite a sort of reserved character. But um, I went to her house in Loughborough and did an interview. Got. The, the dog was the star of the show her, her dog her beloved dog but yeah, she, she's a really interesting um, reader of a game uh, I don't know if, if the media will be her area uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if she moves into coaching because she's she's an astute reader of the game um, once you can get her t- get her talking if you like uh, and yeah as you say she will she'll always be the queen of one of the great moments in English English sporting history it's certainly cricketing sporting history you're correct when you say she didn't really blow teams away too often but she, she obviously was so reliable at getting that in swing every time which I don't think should be underrated it is an incredible skill to do it every single time you have a new ball in your hand uh, but she'd have a certain sort of like clutch presence I think in that semi-final in 2017 it was her that in a pretty tense finish against Africa where what well, England ended up winning by two wickets with a couple of balls remaining uh, she she hit. did it again the other week exactly yeah and, and, and she even got better as that World Cup went on as well sort of realising that the moment was sort of gathering and, uh, and then even in that final, she bowled pretty well. Uh, but that, that, there was one game, because you picked out a test match, and I um, there was an early test match uh, the last time that England women won the Ashes in Australia, and they won it by virtue of winning the test. They lost both the ODI and T20I series that time. And she took seven wickets in the game, uh, including the opening two wickets uh, of the Australia first innings, which sort of gave England the early advantage and then got them back into it. Like Australia were going to get a decent lead after England made 200-odd. And then got Perry out in the uh, in the second innings with her having top scored in both innings, uh, and that was that's obviously you know last time we won it, which is a long time ago now, um, and just that in a way I think that could have almost been her her best format because she is a player that could bowl those balls that you just couldn't that, that could get any batter out at any time, but she was, just didn't get to play as much as she otherwise might have. Um, but yeah, the IPL. Ben, we've had a few more games, uh, a couple of moments to pick out. Uh, there was one incredible finish with Raul Tawatia, the star of the show again, and you've got a good stat on this as well. Yeah, so he hit, with 12 needed off two balls, he hit two sixes to win it, and he and Doni are the only two cricketers to do that in the IPL, uh, which sort of fits with Tawatia is this guy who... Uh, Kind of came from nowhere. Yeah, doesn't really have a huge record to speak of, but just if there is a, he's like the you know, the shrub sort of the IPL, I guess, in terms of that clutch moments. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, whenever there's sort I'm of not like sure a, that's going to stick. <laughs> whenever there's sort of a moment that you think like no, no like only an all-time great cricketer could pull something off here, or Tuatia could basically <laughs> is how it kind of seems to be. Uh, yeah, 
Um, my moment of the week was from the IPL. It was yesterday. 18-year-old Duold Brevis for the Mumbai Indians. Impressed in the under-19 World Cup. Hit four sixes in a row of Rahul Jahar yesterday. The last one was 112 metres long. Uh, obviously, quite a lot of hype around him. And Mumbai Indians are doing very badly this year. But that was that was pretty incredible. And such good innings that even Tom Banton decided to uh, yes. tune in and watch it, right? <laughs> I hope this doesn't become like a long-running joke on the show. But, um, but yeah, he was one run away from becoming the youngest overseas player to score an IPL half-century. Yeah, I, I saw that as well. Four in a row, as you say, they were big shots. There was two plus, two over 100, 100 metres. Mm. Um, you know, it's already a boring cliche to say that he's 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 a Davilia's clone. Um, but it is uncanny even the way he moves, the way he holds his bat, the the way he runs between the wickets, the swagger, everything is completely modelled on him. Um, uh, yeah, and as you say, Mumbai Indians are stinking the place out. It's quite interesting to see. Interesting. Oh, that word again. Mumbai Indians are stinking the place out. Uh, and yeah, how they how they go. It's a repeat of many, many years, years before, isn't it? Where they always start very slowly and people write them off and then they sort of find a way to, to put it around. But looking at that side yesterday, it felt like it's lacking a little bit of sparkle, to be honest. Um, They're not using their four overseas slots yeah. that often, which is Tamar Mills is on the bench, I noticed. He, yeah, he came back off it yesterday and wasn't great. It was quite expensive again. Um, they've got... Their two brightest sparks are probably these two kids. Um mm. Tilak Verma, the being the other one yesterday, kind of kept them in that game. 18 and 19, I think yeah. they are, yeah. There was um, a piece written for Wisdom.com by uh, one of Crickviz's new analysts, Kieran Palmley, uh, about looking at... Better known on Twitter uh, as, as Burberspin. Burberspin. Yeah. Uh, looking at Mumbainian's poor start to the season and what are the factors behind it. But also wondering if they basically, because they have such uh, you know a presence in the IPL and they're so well established, the people in the team are so sort of uh, secure in their roles that they can almost afford to plan for the future more than other franchises can. So at the last auction, which might well be the last mega auction, which they had because there were these two new teams coming in, so they needed to revamp everything. They might well now want to have these teams get more and more established identities and sets of players rather than, you know, I love watching Rajan Rolls-Clay Butler and then he goes to another team in a few seasons when you rejiggle the teams again. So they've kind of, they do have a really good core of young players. They're just not quite there yet I guess the other thing is that Rohit Sharma has been in quite poor IPL form for like six years now since the last time he averaged 13 he's only scored at a strike rate of over 130 in like one of those seasons so that's quite interesting is that their their senior players are perhaps slightly aging out of their prime just about but they do have that young core that they've put in place for this season the other thing is Archer they spent loads of money on knowing wouldn't be able to play the season and then next year might come back and they might have a, a proper team again a, a coaching um, group of Tendulkar, Jai Wardner, Shane Bond, and Zaya Khan. I mean, That's an amazing what moment. What a gig that is. During the strategic timeout, um, Tendulkar and Jai Wardner came onto the field to have a chat with Brevis. It's like, that mm. must be so strange. Mm. But then, then, then we worked out in the office that Brevis was nine when Sachin last played a test match, so he might, he might, he might not know who he is. <laughs> Get out of my face, son. You've been enjoying the IPL show? Not watched the ball of it, Phil. <laughs> There we go. Too, too much cricket, as Roy yeah. Burns said on our last show. Well, mm. they, that was specifically county cricket, wasn't it? But yeah, too much cricket in general. Can't ba- keep up with it all. Banton's got a Focusing point. Focusing on yeah. Hampshire's title run. <laughs> and we've been producing a, a frankly brilliant magazine as well, haven't there we? There is that. Which we only finished we'll, up we'll, last we'll night. We'll talk about that on next week's show in, in right, great detail. Just saying, I know you're a Don't mention the magazine, Phil. It's not the, a lot. <laughs> one of the lot. best we've done. <laughs> 
Um, the most newsworthy moment from the last week, though, was Ravi Chandra and Ashwin's tactical retirement for the Rajasthan Royals. Promoted up to six to offer a bit of stability after a top order collapse. Ashwin hit 28 off 23 before retiring himself out with 10 balls of the innings left to let Rian Paraga, arguably a superior hitter, have a whack. He hit eight off four and Rajasthan won by three runs. Um, it's an entirely legal tactical innovation. It's the first time it's ever happened in the IPL. Um, it is divided opinion. Here's what Butch thinks. Butch, good to speak to you. Every every few years, it seems like Ravi Chandra and Ashwin uh, kind of throws a, a moral cricket question to the rest of us. Uh, this time, it's over tactical retirement. It is entirely within the laws of the game, but you're not a massive fan of it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think um, I don't think he is the story here. I think the uh, you know he's perfectly entitled to do it. The, the laws of the game. Um, in the tournament, state that state that you can. So I've got no issue with it on a on a sort of a law making or a moral level. I just I just find it a slightly bizarre addition um, to what is already. A, a, if if the truth be known, or if, if people are are understood, that quite a complicated sport. Um, you've got that you've got a batting lineup. Two teams have got batting lineups in which you can send anybody in in any order you like. Right. So it's well within your tactical remit to send in the right person at the right time. Um, and to be able to sort of retire out a batter who's either stuffing it up so badly or who's been sent in to do something else without losing a, a delivery. Um, of course, the, the batter can't come back in again, but in, in T20 cricket, that's often not a problem. How many times do teams get bowled out? Very few. Um, I, I, I find it just an, a, an unnecessary addition, really, particularly as there's no, there's no equivalent for the fielding side. Um, you know, the, I suppose the one thing that would, might balance that out would be, you know, you've picked your five bowlers or your five bowlers and a safety valve in the eleven, but then you're allowed to you're allowed to sort of sub out one, you know, bring in a relief pitcher for somebody who's having a bad day, and that would perhaps balance it up on both sides. But again, I, I don't really see the point. I don't see the need, um, and it's of course it's created some brilliant um, headlines and, and a lot of discussion, I suppose, um, about about the fact that it's been used at all. I just don't see that it's necessary, um, mm. but um, but people will be free to disagree with me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure they will. Ashwin on his YouTube channel defended it and explained it. He basically he basically said that when the leg spinner came off, uh, he hit a few six off the leg spinner. And when the leg spinner came off, uh, he he tried to to score quickly but wasn't quite nailing it. Basically, and he likened it to substitutions in football and just thinks that T20 cricket and he's, is is behind where it should be in terms of different tactical dimensions, whatever, and this is no different to a substitution in, in a football match. Yeah, again, but I, I go back to the, the fact that you can put, you can send anybody in in any order you like already. Um, and, you know, so it's, if you've stuffed up and you've got yourself in at the wrong time, then, then you just have to get yourself out and get somebody else in. You know, I don't think that the fielding side should be penalised for, for bowling well at a, a batter who's in. Mm. Um, you know, not, not unless a, bowl, a bowling side is able to do exactly the same thing, whereby, you know, Somebody, Joe Bloggs is having a terrible day with the new ball. You haul him off after he's bowled six, you know, bowled an over or, or five deliveries or something. And then you get to replace him with somebody who can bowl his other three. Mm. Uh, you know, that, that for me would then be a fair balance and, um, and a, a, something that, that stacks up to the, to the football comparison. I mean, the other thing with that is it's not football. I don't know if anybody's noticed, but it's a completely different sport uh, <laughs> that already has a million and one tactical dimensions to it. Does it need another one? I don't think it does. Well, at least at least not one that, that doesn't have, you know, the yin and yang of being able to do it 
do something that's beneficial to both the batting team and the bowling team. At the moment, it's it's all skewed one way. I was um, I was talking to one of the Crickviz guys about it early in the week, and they made the point that whatever you think of it, it's actually going to happen very rarely, even if people think it's fine, because you need like a perfect combination. I mean, one one element of this was that. Radistan had a collapse that meant that Ashwin was promoted over someone who would normally bat at six. So you need a situation where that happens, that person stays in for long enough, and then you're actually only giving a few balls at the end. And crucially, actually, you need the personality of someone like Ashwin who's going to think like that, and then B, have the confidence in their position in the team to then do something like that. So actually, even if you think it's absolutely fine, it's not going to happen that often. No, it isn't, which is another reason why I think it's an unnecessary, an unnecessary addition. So, uh, you know, it's very different if you're, say, for example, say, for example, I don't know, um, I'm, I'm Owen Morgan and Josh Butler's in, but Josh is having a shocker. And, and Owen decides, right, we can't part with this any longer. I'm pulling, I'm, I'm going to drag jo- Josh Butler, Josh Butler off the park, Right. Now, making that call, because you know with somebody like Josh Butler that he could flick a switch and suddenly it all goes fine and he starts banging it out the park. You then bring a bloke back into your dressing room who is unbelievably peed off at being embarrassed in front of, in front of the world on, a, on that sort of stage, um, which means that it, you're absolutely right. It's very unlikely to happen. Um, it's just, look, I, I, don't have, I, don't have any, I don't have any sort of um, moral case against it for what Ashwin did. He's perfectly within his rights to it. It's in the laws. But I think if you're going to have a law that allows, allows you to write, a, 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 you know, to write a mistake in many ways, your fault, you don't have the right person at the crease at the time because you decided to, you decided to shore things up rather than keep going. That's your tactical call. You then shouldn't get a get-out-of-jail-free card to reverse that tactical call if the bowling team has no get-out-of-jail-free card to, to, to dismiss a bowler that they shouldn't have picked on that particular day. Mm. That's, that's it. That's all I have. Would you be okay if they changed the law to mean that a dot ball is also given when a bat is retired? Because I guess in the, at the business end of a T20 innings, that's one of the best things about a wicket, right? It's, it's also a dot ball. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because that would solve it for you? That you'd, you'd have to, you have to have, there has to be some sort of penalty Mm. invoked in it mm. like I said because there's no there is no redress in the opposite direction and mm. that's why you know the, the cricket you've always had that option haven't you so both of them trying to run out boycott at, at Leeds or whatever it might be you know, what I mean? you know you, or, or a batter deciding that it's just you know he's having an absolute shocker he's killing his team so he decides to run waltz past one and get out you know you lose the ball mm. tough mm. you know that, that's that's all part of the game always has been part of the game um and look, again, if people think, oh, you know, it's an exciting new thing and it's, it's, got, it's used up column inches, it's used up 15 minutes of our time so far talking about it and it all, all, all attracts eyes to the game, then fine. But add something to the law that allows the bowling team to do something, to do something similar and then, and then it's fair. At the moment, it's, it's, a, bit of a, it's a bit silly as far as, I, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I've enjoyed having this chat once. I don't think I want to talk about this regularly. Um, cheers for your time, Butch, and see you next week. Before we come to our County Championship 11, South Africa beat Bangladesh in the second test of that series to take it 2-0. Uh, Keshav Maharaj had another amazing game, scored 84 in the first innings and took another second innings, uh, seven for in the fourth innings. Two lots of seven for 30 Yeah, in, in, in a week and a half. Yeah. I mean, what a... 
And especially with Homer coming into the side yeah. as well, with the pressure on him. Homer did all right as well, six for seventy. I think did they the say game. he was the first bowler in Test history to take consecutive fourth innings seven fours. Is that right? Yeah. Um, uh, that's I, a lovely stat. I actually, I'll back you on that one, Ben. That's only one. Dale Stain has taken more wickets for South Africa in a two-match series. There was there was one. Sorry, there was one moment in that game which actually probably should have been a moment of the week. Did, did you see this? The oh, yeah, bizarre dropped weird. catch. Yeah. Uh, so it's sort of it's cut pretty hard towards sort of backward point oh, where yeah, Mahedi right, Hassan yeah. Miraz is, and he sort of he sees it to begin with. It looks like, and then his head just sort of turns to the left as someone shouted his name, uh, and then the ball just clangs into his stomach. Uh, so he's not braced for anything and it is coming quite fast towards him. He's obviously just lost it in the seats or something. Uh, and then so, and then he had to be stretched off, which is obviously alarming. And then was also back bowling like 10 overs later back on the field. So it was all very odd. And I would actually worth, it's one of such a strange video to see, just especially the slow motion where you see the head turn and then you, you assume that you're not seeing where the ball is properly. And then you realise it's actually him that has just completely yeah. lost it. So if it, I haven't seen this. If it hits him in the stomach, presumably if he could see it, it would have been a very easy catch. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Moving on. Wisden have hand-selected and sourced 10 extremely rare pieces of signed memorabilia. All pieces are 100% authentic and come with a hologram certificate of authenticity. Each piece is exclusive to the Wisden shop and cannot be purchased anywhere else. Autographs featured include cricketing legends like Sir Don Bradman, Ben Stokes, Shane Warne, Steve Waugh, Virat Kohli and Sachin Tendulkar. Global shipping is available so they can be ordered from anywhere in the world. Available at wisdom.com forward slash shop. Right, on to the final piece of this show. Our uncapped county championship 11 of the 21st century. Uh, Criteria is reasonably straightforward in theory, but I'm sure we'll argue it. I don't want to spend too long on this. Good. Um, so, Joe, <laughs> let's go with your openers. Well, we're going to have an argument immediately. I know. Okay. I wanted to get this out of the way. So, can I pick Ed Joyce? So, obviously, Ed Joyce has got one test cap for Ireland, but that came right at the end of his career. So, he was basically overlooked by England I think throughout you can his pick career. Ed Joyce. Wait, what was the name of the team again? The Uncapped. Yeah, I don't think we can have Ed Joyce. <laughs> I disagree. I mean, what, can, can we pick Stuart Law? Can we pick... No, because he'd been he'd played for Australia. Yeah, but but I mean, we can't That's pick a guy who was uncapped he was not... right at the end, I don't think, personally. All right, I, mean, I don't have the energy for this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think no, just right. because I think people will just scream at us. Okay, I, I well, they're, they're wrong, already. as are you, but fine. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'd have picked him, Joe, it's fine. I'm with you, mate. All right, so I will go with... Um, well, Wayne Madsen, I had anyway, um, who has just, you know, racked up the runs for years at Derbyshire, was eligible to play for England for the vast chunk of that. I'm not sure he was immediately, but certainly has been for a long time. And tellingly, when we've done the who's who in previous years, so many players talk about what an incredibly talented ball striker, skillful player he is. Um, so I think probably naturally being at Derbyshire, he's probably slipped under the radar more than he should have done. So he's definitely in there. And then as a replacement for Ed Joyce, I'm going to go with Daryl Mitchell at Worcester, who obviously churned them out over the years. Solid county opener. Very nice chap as well. I couldn't be asked to pick my team, but um, Wayne Madsen definitely would be in it if I had. Um, as would Ed Joyce, you're saying. As would Ed Joyce, yeah, but we're not allowed him apparently. <laughs> ben, you picked Mitchell, but you went for someone else up top. Yeah, Mal Loy. Um, I wondered just as a, I mean, obviously international Played, but didn't play in a test match. Yeah, that, match. that's the rule. You're allowed to be captain Whitebull cricket, yes. but not. Uh, but I, I guess if we're, I mean, I, I think that Madsen and Lloyd make a very attractive opening partnership in terms of yeah, ball Lloyd striking. Didn't, Lloyd didn't really open in red ball cricket. He was a, he was a middle order player. Okay. Opened in white ball cricket. Maybe we get both of them in there then. 
Um, actually, and, and in more recent years, Mazin's been a middle order player as well, but he did start as no. Yeah, that's thing. So I had Mazin in my team lower down the order, but I'm you, you're, you're not you're not having Malloy. Cool. I mean, you, you can make an argument for him at number four, but I don't think he wouldn't have opened much in red ball cricket. Um, we let's go Mitchell and Madsen up top. Um, just a couple of other openers I thought were worth mentioning if we we're going to pick them. Uh, Jimmy Adams at Hampshire had a really good career, averaged high thirties. Vikram Solanke as well, obviously played right. Like, for England in ODI cricket but still very good county career he was, he was very close again I'd have probably gone middle order for him in, in, in Red Bull stuff but yeah he was close um, Chris Dent as well yeah Chris Dent as well um, going to the middle order um, David Sales and James Hildreth are the, the guys who make both of your teams and Jumble. mine as well um, pardon Jumble that's his nickname David Sales it's a good name <laughs> good Ben who do you want in the middle order aside from Sales and Hildreth uh, well, I mean, I suppose it, it'd probably be number six rather than number five, but Darren Stevens just has to get into this team, doesn't he? Uh, I presume you picked him, Joe, or did you not? Yeah, no, God, I definitely picked him. I actually had him at number seven because my keeper is a very, very good batter, and I thought so I had them that way round. But yeah, either, yeah. either or six or seven. So who's your keeper? Did you go for Ben Brown or Davis? Steve Davis. Yeah, that's what I went for as well. So there's quite a lot of agreement here then. Yeah, just, just on Darren Stevens, I feel just the whole, the way, the way Darren Stevens at the moment is used as kind of a something to attack country with is how this guy who's 45 about to turn 46 doing so well. People just ignore his batting when um, they, they they talk about him basically and like we're looking at the numbers of most runs this century. He, he has scored 34 first class hundreds this century. He was not too far away 36. I think at the turn of the 10s. He was playing England Lions then and that was when England had you know perhaps their deepest strength and batting. I mean, Ed Joyce wasn't getting in the team at that point when he would be a shoe in it most of the times. So who did you have at your number five Joe? I had Ali Brown uh, as my number five, who I think I tried to work out in, because he obviously played a bit in the previous century. I think he averaged about 42 in, in this century, you know, proper player. Um, surprising that he didn't get a game at some stage. I know he was he was predominantly thought of as a white ball player and obviously that was the format that suited his aggressive style. But as a middle order player in red ball cricket, he was he was a huge part of the Surrey side that, that won plenty of trophies. So he was... He was in there for me. I think he. I think he makes the team. Then again, a couple of guys I wanted to mention who don't make the team: Sam Northeast got a very good record over a long period of time. Um, Chris Nash as well, very long career, uh, done done very well as well. But I think that's a pretty settled top six. You mentioned that you both picked Steve Davies as your keepers. Um, I would have picked him too. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, two two names that I'd have thrown in the ring. One Ben Brown, obviously. Very good record. Um, but also, this is a guy who I, I would have picked. Craig Keyswetter, um, average pretty much 40 in first-class cricket. Ha- yeah, um, it crossed my mind. Because we were looking at top-run scorers, and obviously he wasn't in that list because yeah. his career got cut short. But that's that's a very good shout. Yeah. That is a very good shout. He played a couple of outrageous knocks a year or two before. He had that terrible he'd played, injury. He'd have played test cricket, I think. Yeah, he made a day 450 not out to win a clutch game for, for Somerset in, in a week or a, a month or a couple of weeks period where he's just making runs left, right and centre. He made list 800 in there as well. Yeah, he could he could really play. And I think Joe's absolutely right. He would have played test cricket. A couple of other keepers who didn't get mentioned. I'm not, they're not really strong competition, but Mark Wallace was a, a brilliant keeper and a very good batsman for a long period of time. I think he's got the record for most consecutive championship appearances. And another one who definitely doesn't make the team as a batter, but as a pure keeper, uh, Keith Piper at Warwickshire. Um, 
Was he still it, going into this? Set? He yeah. was, yeah. So I looked, yeah, he, he, he was late. Yeah, he was in, up until about 2004, 2005. But you like a, you like a gloveman, don't you? Jim? Well, my memory is that he was as good as Jack Russell was as a pure keeper. He wasn't as good as a, a batter and his first class average is sub 20. So he get Ben Scott in there. Get him in. Well, he could basically, you could load a team and bat, bat him at nine as a pure keeper would be an option. It's not the one I've gone for because Steve Davis absolutely deserves to be in there, but he was one hundred. So, so we're going Davies over Keyswetter. I, I don't, I don't recall Keyswetter's work as a keeper being particularly well regarded, but he he did hold that position ahead of Butler at the time. They sort of shared, and that was my Butler went to Langs. It was my Butler left, yeah, yeah because Keyswetter had the gloves. Um, I suppose it's tricky. It depends what you're picking this team to be. If it's sort of like a recognition a for it, just. No, but, but, but if, you, if, if it's a recognition of, you know, many, many years of service to the county game that wasn't recognised by England, then you'd go for Davis. If you're picking the team that you think has the most chance of succeeding at the test level, which I think will be, an especially relevant debate when it comes to the bowling attack, maybe you go for Keysvetter. I don't know. Yeah, England would probably have played Keysvetter more than they would have played um, Steve Davis. Uh, so, yeah, let's go Keysvetter. It's a bit funky. I like it. Cool. Then on to the bowling attack. Uh, Joe, a couple of uh, two pace bowlers who made everyone's teams. Uh, I think you know who, who those are going to be. So do you want to say Glenn Chappell. Oh, no, Tim Murtagh's not allowed, of course. <laughs> yeah, Tim Murtagh's not allowed. <laughs> Although, oddly, I, I hadn't picked him because I thought, oh, I don't know why. Well, my logic doesn't stand <laughs> up. Anyway, let's move on. Let's not have the argument with myself now. Um, <laughs> so Glenn Chappell obviously bowled what? Four overs in an ODI mm. and then broke down injured. Never played a test match, which is unbelievable. All the England seamers around at that time who got a game, it is extraordinary that he never got at least one. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah there's not much you need to say about him really. Just um, metronomic took, what, 692 wickets. A lot of wickets. Mm. And the other one, I guess, Chris Chris Ruth, Rushworth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so is it my third seamer you want then? Uh, yeah, so tricky. Chris Rushworth, f- 548 wickets at, at 22. Yeah, not a, a, not a very controversial selection. So yeah, so your your third seamers are different. So I, I was debating between two left armers. One who is actually playing behind me right now, Keith Barker, whose record, probably 432 wickets at 25. Um, left arm variety. Also averages just under 30 with the bat. So a really compelling case to be a number eight. So he was in my team, but now I'm thinking Mark Footit is another one who mm. I actually had to check, double check that he hadn't had a bad test match for England and never played again because he went on that tour to South Africa. <laughs> yeah. Didn't go right for him. Lots of stuff apparently going on behind the scenes. Didn't necessarily bed into that international environment and never played again. But he was brilliant in Derbyshire. Had a very, very good year at, at Surrey as well. His record... 352 wickets at 26 and a, what my side is lacking he, he was a genuine quick at his best as well so I think I'm going to go him slightly weak in my batting but but go with him as my third seamer that's interesting because I was quite prepared to concede Keith Barker to you uh having picked Jack Brooks because I, I guess I was it there's there, there are quite a few who have so David Masters is one who has sort of a, an incredible counter but you wonder if they just didn't have that quite that that nip for the the top level which I think both Barker and Brooks would have but Barker's batting would have won him over Brooks for me I think uh but foot it had even more pace I mean how quick was he rumored to have been because the thing with him as well is he was a proper strike ball wasn't he? he just took bags and bags of wickets even when he went for a few he would basically invariably take wickets 
Um, yeah, quite a few injuries. I think early doors, he was talked about as a genuine sort of very high 80s, even touching 90 miles an hour. I think he was probably more of a kind of 85 miles an hour when he got picked for the England squad. Sound about right, Phil, from what you saw of him? Yeah, definitely. And I think it might have been his home debut at the Oval as well when he made quite a big big money move to Surrey. And I don't think it worked out for him on and off the pitch coming down to London. But he took six foot in an afternoon that me and Matt Thacker, managing edit at Wisden, we, we watched it together and he was lightning and he looked like an international bowler. And I think it, that South African tour might have been at the end of that that I think summer. Yeah, and they were they were properly interested in him. Um, it's a bit of a mystery as to what went wrong there with him. Uh, yeah, he, he had a brilliant record at the Oval as well on a on a flat wicket. Reputation for getting wickets on flat wickets, and I just find it really interesting. We foot it that England got destroyed by Johnson in thirteen fourteen. Foot it then basically has his career peak between the next two Ashes series, and by twenty eighteen seventeen eighteen, that's when he leaves Surrey. He's what sort of back in the day it'd have been the one they bring in for a test at the Oval end of the yeah. summer because they feel he, he, he suits those conditions and, and, he, and he did. So yeah, I, yeah, I think he's a good pick. No, is, I, is there I, any I way like to that. fit both Barker and Foot it in? I guess probably not, but... You'd have to drop one of Chapel or Rushworth. Which and I think not there, doing, yeah. Nah, I think Barker's, Barker's your good backup. Yeah, Unless you didn't want to play a spinner, but we've got to play a spinner. Um, and Joe's gone for Gary Keady as the spinner and I was just... Doing my, doing my research on Gary Keady and on his Wikipedia page it says that he was picked in uh, the All Out Cricket in, in 2000, October 2006 issue of All Out Cricket he was voted uh, the best ever county cricket player never to play for England which isn't quite right because I've got a I've got the issue here in front of me it was show it the, to the YouTube fans yes the, it's a war, good cover war, story that worn on the, worn on the very front very good cover story that um, it was the best county cricketers at the time who hadn't played for England um, it's quite a, quite a different thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, I think we should amend his Wikipedia page. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it does say citation needed, doesn't it? So. Uh, yeah, it does actually. On that, I, I looked at Keedy's numbers and I reckon if Twitter existed in the early 2000s, there'd be a big Keedy must play bandwagon. Uh, in a four-year period leading up to 2006, he took 230 first-class wickets at about 24, 25 um, there must have been people saying that he should be playing ahead of Giles. Well, yeah, and there were, but obviously everyone knows it's Giles was a good fielder at Gully and scored useful runs, and Keedy wasn't either of those things, um, and that that's what sold it basically. I, th- I don't think there'd been much argument that I mean, Keedy was a better left arm spinner than Giles, right? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's fair. Certainly more attacking. Mm. Um, ben, you've gone for someone slightly younger than Gary Keedy. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm less persuaded by him now that we've got foot in the team. We've got a proper strike option. But when my attack was sort of four sort of medium fast seamers, I didn't hugely wasn't hugely interested in a spinner who would just hole up. And any, I know Gary Keedy was very good, but he was he was a container mostly, as as I understand it. So I, I mean, I went for. For, for Matt Parkinson as a as a leg spinner Shock who can sort and of indeed uh, horror who, who could break the game open uh, bowling at the other end of you know your, your, your he's guys he's played who 32 are... games no no I know I know I, I'm, I'm aware put him in his all time Lancashire 11 when he yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go yeah <laughs> this is only marginally uh, so, more ridiculous so, marginally so, less ridiculous so but so I was, I was uh, basically basically about what would that team want you went into a balance of side yes basically yeah. where and that the attack that we had I mean with foot it less so uh, it would you know not go for many runs but on flat wickets might possibly struggle for penetration and that is where maybe Parkinson 
comes into it, possibly. Uh, um, I mean, I'm probably happy to concede KD, but I felt I think, that... I think you're going to have to, I'm yeah. afraid. One other spinner that sort of came to mind, KD definitely, I think, is a, a clear mm. front runner. But uh, Jason Brown at North Ants mm. as well. Uh, very good. I wasn't sure exactly where his career crossed over the century, mm. but very good record in, in this century. Mm. Went away on tour with England to India, I mm. think, mm. or Sri Lanka. A, a subcontinent tour, and anyway, I didn't play... Uh, and then Swan and then Panasar's emergence at um, Northampton, he kind of slipped out the reckoning. But for a while, he was considered to be a future England bowler. Mm. So not quite on the class of Keedy, but not far off. So our team, Daryl Mitchell, Wayne Madsen, uh, David Sales, James Hildreth, Ali Brown, Darren Stevens, Craig Keyswetter, Glenn Chappell, Gary Keedy, Chris Rushworth and Mark Footit. That's a good, very good 11. Uh, that is all we have time for on this show. Uh, cheers, Phil. Cheers, Joe. Cheers, Ben. This has been the Wizarding Cricket Weekly podcast. We'll be back next Thursday where we will be joined by Wizarding Almanac editor Lawrence Booth to talk about the five Wizarding Critters of the Year. Podcast Network.